Possession crucial from this. How much longer will the referee allow? Dublin lead by a point. And there's the whistle. It's over. It's over. We earned it by winning the last two matches on the road, and that's not going to be taken away from us. What I love in Hurland, I love players that will never give in. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Hello, welcome to the RTGA podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, Mikey Stafford here with Rory O'Neill as always, and we've been joined by Brendan Cummins and by Owen Ryan of RTE Online. How's everybody doing? Very good, Mike. Right, um, eventful weekend. That's um, even if um, I think one quarter final. I think we could safely say Rory maybe didn't didn't live up to live up to his billing. Um, but we'll start with the other one, uh, Claire and Wexford, which was. Um, which was close. We can say that much anyway. Um, Brendan, it was my simplistic and slightly depressed view on this one is that it was it was simply it was run it was won by the benches and Wexford, as has probably been an issue for as long as I've been a Wexford fan. One to fifteen can probably go toe to toe with not if not everyone most, but it's fifteen to twenty where Wexford have often been found wanting. I think. Yeah, look, there's there's no doubt the benches were uh, were a huge part of it. And I also think that the composure that Clare showed uh, when Lee Ching got the goal was was an also a big difference in the teams. They didn't seem to panic, even though they went that five or six down and the clock was ticking against them. They just kept running the ball and kept doing the process, I suppose. And um, that's what really I suppose to set them up. And also, I think when you look at the quarterfinals, all the teams obviously playing in the quarterfinal section have been beaten in the championship and their conference is always a little bit battered. And I think we'll see a better Clare the next day and we'll see a better Galway the next day because they now have a good competitive win under their belts and that'll give them the energy and confidence that you need because players aren't robots. You know, you always have something nagging in your head, always bet the last day, always came so close and you want to exercise those demons. And I think certainly Clare did and the composure... As I said, that they showed coming down the home straight. They could easily have panicked because obviously they were favourites coming into the game. They could easily have, have, have thrown it away, but they didn't. And, and it's another big plus, I think, for Brian Lowen and Clare that they have matured an extra step that in a game that they may have lost in the past through misfortune or whatever, they actually won this time. And you're right, the bench was, was key in getting them across the line on, on top of the composure they showed. Yeah. Um, and Brian Lowen had to do some thinking, Owen, didn't he? Because in fairness... To Wexford in that first half, they they had Claire's number. Um, super gluing Damien Wreck to Tony Kelly was was only one element of it. But Wexford managed to stifle Claire, and people say, "Well, Claire were off the boil." You know the the you know the emotional high of the Munster final. But I think a more sympathetic way of, to, to Wexford people of saying it was that Wexford really they didn't let Claire play. They they they, they halted their gallop until the last fifteen minutes. They did, yeah, and Claire didn't really know how to react to it in the first half, I thought. I mean, I think Clare definitely were off the boil. Like, Tony Kelly missed, what was it, four frees in a row? Which, mm. you know, you don't have a man marking you at the free, so... <laughs> we, we, we if you could, Damien Reck would have been marking him at the free if he could have. Yeah, so we can't say it was purely, you know, it definitely was a bit Clare not being fully at it as well. And then I think second half, they started to get more control, the sucker punch of the two goals, but... The bench, as you said, like having lads like Shanahar, Rogers, Mean to be able to come on, all scored, all had a big impact. That really made the difference. Yeah, no, it, it was it, it was serious, but also Rory, um, lads who were on the pitch who maybe hadn't had much of an influence. Uh, you know, mainly Peter Duggan, Shane O'Donnell, and the aforementioned Tony Kelly. The last last. 15 minutes they really came into it and I, I thought O'Donnell who had been not anonymous but like really hadn't had the impact we got used to this summer in the last 15 minutes he, he couldn't be stopped if there was a ball on the ground and there was 15 men <laughs> fighting for it. it was little Shane O'Donnell who was coming out with it it was it was a phenomenal performance down down the stretch yeah I like it was a it was an odd game the two games were unusual and very peculiar and a funny atmosphere for both but from a clear perspective, like I kind of felt they only really hurled with any sense of fluency for about 10 minutes, really, and just totally turned the game on its head. Now, what that does say is there's an unbelievable spirit there. They dug one out that looked very ropey at times where they six points down midway through that second half at one stage. That's, for, you know, and I suppose, as you mentioned, it had Wexford maybe 
a little bit more depth on their bench to just to bring it in and freshen things up. You know, who knows what might have been, what might have happened after that. I think some of the big leaders did stand up. Um, Tony Kelly kind of came into the game a little bit more for that during that period. And the bench was massive. Aaron Shanahan was a huge influence when he came on. He, I mean, did he score one, two, I think. One, two, play? yeah. Um, I think I think Claire would have won it anyway, even without that goal. I think they had yeah, just yeah, kept their cool. I kind of had a sense. They reeled yeah, yeah. them back to a point. I think they had them anyway. That's it. I was kind of had a sense. I was thinking, Jesus, this 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 is definitely looking like extra time here. We're in for a long one, but um, in fairness, look, I think Brian Lowen will have left Turles on Saturday night absolutely thrilled i think they couldn't be in a better position there's loads for them to work on the the key thing for beating provincial finalists and both of them won on saturday is it is difficult brendan mentioned it to try and resurrect the morale within the panel after bad defeats for both of them in those provincial finals so it would have been an easy cop out um but I think it would have been nothing short of a disaster for Clare, given the form that they had shown on such a consistent basis right throughout the round robin and going toe to toe with Limerick on so many occasions. So for them now to make it to, I always feel that like making it to All-Ireland semi-finals weekend is the big, should be the big target for all teams. It's the best weekend of the year in a hurling sense, because it's just a festival of hurling in Dublin. There's teams from four counties all up. It's, you know, it's just the only show in town. Yeah, and they're there now, and I think that's the big thing that they'll take out of it. They've twelve days now to prep for it. Um, Shanahan played a club game on Sunday night, by all accounts, togged out for his club against Delos, uh, Delos crowd, and and scored three three. <laughs> so, you know, look, um, I think his options are good. He's got, he's built, he's built a really good panel. I think their morale now will be absolutely booming once again. I suppose if there was any blot in the copybook from a clear perspective, it's the fact that they had to take off Rory Hayes after nine minutes and I don't think it was an injury I just think he wasn't just he just wasn't going well and that's a big call a big mm. big call you know but um, yeah I think uh, it sets it all up really nicely now uh, for the for that semi-final um, especially given the fact that they're going in there against Kilkenny who I think they haven't beaten in the championship since the jubilee year of 1997 Jesus. so that's um, another interesting side plot yeah Brendan, who who'd be a goalkeeper, huh? Of the four goalkeepers who lined out in Turles. The tough day for goalies, <laughs> Brendan, wasn't it, Shane? Three of them. Patrick Collins mm. won't have been happy. Ever Quilligan, certainly with the, the the shot that may or may not have got a touch from Lee Chin. I don't think it did. But then obviously the most glaring one and the most the most costly one uh, is is certainly for where it happened and you know, in the match was was Mark Fanning's. Um, and after having a couple of incidents against Westmeath as well, he, he didn't have a he didn't have a stellar season maybe under a high ball but then at the same time i think he was about wexford's fourth highest scorer so you know he, yeah. he wouldn't be hanging the guy or anything like that it was just it it wasn't he wouldn't even i would you tell me better brendan it wasn't a particularly difficult one to take in let's say was it an instance where he was probably thinking about what was next while he was still catching yeah, the ball I think, yeah i think in those in those examples whether it's patrick collins one i think he was over on the on the left of obby's uh, left hand post now while the groundsmen and tourists are really good, there is a slight difference in the height because the ground isn't built up when you're when you're resodden. So therefore, your hand is that bit further away from the crossbar. And if you notice, he jumped at the ball, and I think the same way with Fanning, he let his feet at the ground, and if your feet lay the ground when there's no need, you don't have a strong base, and you nearly jump over the ball to catch it, and it causes it to bounce out of your hand or to go between your your finger and your thumb. And I think that's what happened. It's a concentration thing. It's a pressure thing. That's the way it is. And I think Ivor Quilligan will be the happiest of all the goalies because he got to kick up the backside and he's got a chance now and he'll be angry and he'll be even more focused in Crow Park against Kilkenny. So it's going to take a fair shot to pass him, I think, the next day um, based on the lesson they've learned. But for the other two lads, it's just a really, really difficult when you when you drop the clangor and it's a very, very tough place to be. But they're mentally strong. They have a bit of time now to... Uh, to, to I suppose think about it and uh, and wait until they get back again but um, who would be a goalie eh? I suppose that's the bottom line lads isn't it indeed uh, Owen so looking forward to McClare you know um, they have a few weeks to kind of rectify things and they'll probably expect that you know key players won't play as poorly for as long again 
Um, but Kilkenny might look at that performance as well and say, you know, Kilkenny, who are often, uh, shall we say, criticised for being a little bit um, traditional in their outlook to tactics and stuff, they may look at the fact that Wexford reaped quite a lot from lumping high balls in on big men on the end of the square, and Kilkenny might say, that's that's a tactic that we're well able to employ, and we have the personnel to play that game. They certainly do, yeah. Um, it's it's a concern. It's a concern for Clare, and as to whether maybe Lee Lee Chin was in the square or not, but that's another that's another kind of argument. Uh, you could certainly see Kilkenny going down that route. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He they, they it's it was unusual though because we've been talking about them. Uh, Rory as a kind of that full back line has kind of been quite quite intimidating and uh, like it was Cleary and, and Hayes we would have been talking about at the start of the year but it was Flanagan who was doing it kind of came out with credit on Sunday whereas Hayes had a had had a poor 10 minutes and was hooked and Conor Cleary got a tough time of it as well mm. but I think yeah, it'll be a very be a very interesting set of matchups you know, uh, Owen Cody, Billy Ryan, TJ Reid going in there against Conor Cleary, Rory Hayes and Paul Flanagan. That to me, you know, like I think that if you weren't prepared to pay whatever the admission fee is, that is worth it's uh, that's worth the fee alone. I think it's going to be really interesting just to see how they pair off against each other. And it could be route one from Kilkenny. I think that would be um, look, I you can't get away with just playing it one way anymore anyway you just can't like if you become sort of one-dimensional then you become utterly predictable really brendan and teams will suss you out fairly quickly would that be fair yeah i would and i think tj inside if into the modern game there's two inside right now if you go lumping the ball long normally there's a guy sitting on the 45 so while that ball's in the air the fullback bats it out sweeps up and then they start to wave up the pitch so I think there's a, a premium on getting the ball to bounce inside in front of the full forward line. Now, when TJ's in there, you're not going to get that explosive pace out. And that's what Owen Cody and Billy Ryan give Clare. And I think, or give Kilkenny, but I think if TJ's out around the middle, he's standing 10 yards up the pitch from John Conlon saying, are you coming out here to follow me or are you staying where you are? And that's the question. And TJ, I saw him against Galway. He is so cute. Like the very minute that Galway got on top, TJ was under the next two puck outs down in the hill 16. They caught the two of them. And he caused chaos, got fouled, puts the ball down nice and handy over the bar. And it's been the key thing for Kilkenny, that they can draw free, they can take pressure. If you're six points better and you're only two points up during the game, and that is going to be, I think, the challenge for Clare. Can they understand that? You might be way better than Kilkenny, like Cork would have thought they were last year. We're going to extra time now, lads. And if Clare can keep, and that's why I like Clare the last day, even when they went six down, there was no panic. We kept playing. Uh, in fairness to Brian Lowen on the line, he wasn't jumping up and down, going berserk, hitting any red buttons, flat, panic buttons, and they just did their thing. And I think that was standing a good stead against Kilkenny. In terms of the aerial ability, you'd have to say Owen Cody isn't far off, TJ. Mm, yeah, no, he's yeah. right up there. Right up and there. he has leg as well to go to the side. Like, he can beat you any which way. And what I like about him as well, for a fella as big as he is, Cody goes with the hand. He's a bit like Connor Whelan. The ball bounces anywhere around the knee to ankle. He's going to hand to get primary possession to spin you, and that's very hard as a as a defender to to try to counteract. And in Crow Park, the fullback line, I'm afraid, are going to be one on one. You can play sweepers, whatever way you like. When it goes in deep, you're one on one. It's every man, woman, and child from themselves then, and that's where the, the danger signs could be for Clare and what Kenny are looking to exploit. Right, we, we we can't ignore the 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 kind of the one major kind of talking point out, out of the game, Owen. And uh, one reason we drafted you in is because you you've become something of an, an expert on the hurling black card slash goal scoring opportunity rule, which is now must be called the lesser spotted hurling black card and uh, goal opportunity uh, denied rule because um we had another chance for to perhaps see it in action. And I can't remember when it was last seen in action, Owen, you might know better than me. And um, when Keen Nolan uh, pulled down Lee Chin and a, a 21-yard free was was given, but you could make the argument that he was more than 25 metres in from the sideline, which would have made it prime territory for a black card and a penalty. What did you make of it? Yeah, I think it's it's maybe a dubious honour being called a black card expert. I don't think I'll get it put on a business card anyway. <laughs> but, uh, um, I wrote a piece... <laughs> in may last year saying that this was not a great rule because it was so open to confusion and loopholes and 
year on, here we are. Mm. Um, I think you could say there were probably three possible reasons why Colin Lyons didn't think that was a penalty. The first was whether it actually was a goal scoring opportunity or not. And there was disagreement. I think Michael Dignan on the Sunday game thought it was, but then Davy Fitz and Joe Canning thought it wasn't. So there you, go. Enough, you have to judge yeah. that. Yeah. Pure opinion. The second one is the distance thing. The 25 metres from the sideline, which came in last year after Aidan McCarthy fell Jake Morris right on the sideline. Poor old James Owens got lambasted. So they brought that in. So the ref we're, might we're, have been, we're, clear, we're clear on the wrong, on the higher side of the decision. Is that what we're saying? Is yeah. <laughs> I'm only messing, Brendan. They just love, they just love being involved in, in black card black card talking points. Um, so you could have had you could have had Column deciding that that was too close to the sideline, and then we had the lads last night, Liam Sheedy, Don Logarsla, suggesting that we should have uh, lines painted on the pitch, maybe for the semi-finals, which would help the rest. But to me, the bigger problem, and it's another possible reason why he didn't give it, is the fact that so few fouls are specified as being part of this rule. So pulling a lad by the arm is not enough for a penalty. The rules are it has to be either pull down an opponent, trip the opponent with the hand, arm, leg, foot or hurl, or use the hurley, sorry, hurley, it says, not hurl, in a careless manner. So dragging a lad back is not enough for a penalty and I thought watching it in real time I thought first of all that Key Nolan had only dragged the chin back you could see on the replay then he got his left left arm in under his leg and kind of pulled him down but if you're the ref and you're at least 20-30 metres away because it's hurling and the ball moves 100 miles an hour and you can't you don't have a replay I don't know how you're supposed to know that so you've got those three potential you know reasons not to give it every time for a ref which is probably why they're not giving them anymore because how can you be certain with such a a vague Vague. uncertain rule you know and we had a great example of that in the last round of Munster Tip Cork Ronamara pulled back Patrick Horgan and I was actually one of the people like that's clearly a clearly a penalty but it wasn't because he didn't pull him down now then you're getting into What's a pull down? Is it a rugby yeah. tackle where you actually drive a lad to the ground? Is it where you pull a lad back and he falls over? Does that mean a lad has to fall over to get the free? It's just, it's just way too vague. It's way too open to interpretation. For me, I would uh, I would make it simply, if it stops a goal, it's a penalty, regardless of whether you meant it, regardless of where it is. It's up to the ref to make that simple call, goal scoring opportunity or not. You could maybe get rid of the black card. That could be too harsh if it's accidental, but you know, yeah. At the moment, at the moment, it's a mess, and the refs are just playing it safe and not awarding it for that reason. I yeah. Uh, if you ask me, Brendan, if someone manages to pull the chin down to the ground, their team should be awarded a penalty because it's a physical feat of wonder. But um, when... I, was, I was going to say that, or maybe mine gone the other way in the bias. It should be a penalty for Claire. Lee Chin obviously dived. <laughs> and <they should> <laughs> <laughs> it's just a travesty that it wasn't given yeah. that way but look you're just looking to be way. able to open those curtains again brendan that's yeah. all you're just yeah, trying yeah, to work your I way back into the good graces but 400 people sit outside my back garden like, <laughs> the magnum tea they're well fed there's no problem it's all okay yeah we're, we're sound we're sound um but yeah it is and in fairness to referees i know the lads touching it the other night and the, the, the Sunday game, it is really difficult because when Lee Chin broke through there, that was a game uh, deciding decision for all the world because if Wexler got another goal then, that would have put a fair hole in Clare's conference and it was only going to be a, a, another long way back. Um, but lines on the pitch, yeah, that's one thing that, that can be done. But then is, is, is there separate rules then for the inter-county game and the club game? So, you know, club referees, the same decisions have to be made at that stage. I just think it was really hard. And clear and obvious pull down and all that. There's just too, it's just a bit too vague. Of all the rules we have in hurling, for whatever rules we have, a lot of them are vague <laughs> and we all get a sense of it really as, as hurling people, if that was a free or not. But certainly a drag down at a point in time that's as serious as that, especially if we're used as deterrent in the game, which is the reason it was brought in. 
the rules need to be tightened up on that. There's no doubt it needs to be clear to make it easier for refs and officials as much as anything else, because all the players obviously will play on the edge. That's just what they do. And they can, you know, that's that's the way it is. But refs need to dig out, I think, from from the rules side of the game just to, to make it clearer for them. Yeah. Owen spells it out pretty well there, Rory, doesn't he? And I know you get access to the ref link sometimes. Like just the the number of things that have to be assessed and adjudicated on in that split instant. There's just too many. No no referee is gonna make that call barring, you know, the most I can't even imagine the instance where it'd be that cast iron that they'll actually do it. It's too grey and if it's a handier decision to just award a free um bang out a yellow card, the the, the, the penalised team obviously loses a point, at least one point as opposed to three. And it's a nice safe option for the referees to take rather than run the gauntlet of subjectivity, which is effectively what he would have to do by trying to interpret a rule that is very, very difficult to um, ascertain one way or the other what the correct interpretation might be. Because as, we, as Owen just outlined, Michael Dignan had one uh, view of it it comes into the studio and the panel have a different view so like I mean where does that leave the poor ref in that argument so there you go yeah yeah there, there shouldn't really be any room for a kind of um, vagaries I guess in it um, for me oh. for me sorry Mike just, I you're never going to get rid of the subjective element of someone has to decide if it was a goal chance or not mm. but I really think we could at least clean up the thing of the fouls only yeah. certain fouls like, like even if it's an accidental foul the negative effect on the attacking team is still the same. Whether I meant to knock you over or I didn't, I knocked you over, I stopped you scoring a goal. So why are we trying to differentiate between cynical and accidental when the result is the same, you know? Yeah, that goes back to kind of the introduction of the black card in the first place, doesn't it? And how why that was brought in and that, that's a that's a can of worms for another day. Um okay, let's look at the first semi final then. Brendan, um a very kind of an unusual game where, you know, Galway needed to, you used the phrase exercise their demons earlier in relation to the provincial final losers. Galway needed to do that. I don't think they did it. <laughs> I don't think Galway played very well. And I think if it wasn't for Cork missing 53% of their shots on goal, um, there's no way Cork should have lost this game. So Galway, I don't think, exercised those demons. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, but sometimes if you if you play like that, you can spin it that maybe it's our year, lads. We played brutally bad, should have been bet, but hey, we're still in the championship and Cork aren't, so our name could be on the cup. But if they play like that against Limerick, God only knows what will be after 20 minutes. But you'd have to feel for, for, for Kieran Kingston because he had let off Patrick Horgan to bring him on for the big cheer with 15, 20 minutes left to finish off the game when everyone was tired, a few mistakes and all. And actually the opportunity for Patrick Horgan was in the first... 35 minutes of the game with the freeze and it just seemed to take the air out and I find that if you're changing your free taker in the first 20 minutes of the game everyone else is going oh no oh no and it just everyone became paralyzed then the goals became about five feet wide um, for Cork players every time they looked in and they just kind of just panicked and Galway just seemed to do their thing slowly but surely go hey these fellas look like they're hitting the game away we might as well just kind of get the odd break here and there, like the goal they got, the, the long-range ball in. Um, and look, Henry, while I suppose looking at it in his coaching side, they say, my God, we need to be way better better than this. He'd say, well, do you know what? We were unbeaten all year at the Kilkenny game. We rode our luck here in this one. So no one expects anything of us now against uh, Limerick <laughs> going into the final. So it's well set up with one big game and we're in the final. So there are a few positives from it uh, for Galway. Mostly, I suppose, the fact that their luck might be in. Yeah, Rory, I, I did make the case here last week. It's just these intercounty managers have to start listening to me. I did make the case that they should perhaps think about starting Patrick Horgan for this game. I was poo-pooed on it, but I, I was thinking more about what he could do on the edge of the square and give the uh, give the physical Galway full back line their fill of it. But actually what they needed him for was to take the freeze because Conor Lahan and Mark Coleman both just had, they just had one of those days, both of them, which is really unfortunate. Mm. It was a bizarre... Really, really bizarre game. Um, I didn't know what to make of it. I had to watch it again. Uh, and I didn't really want to, but I did. Just, <laughs> that, 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 that's th commitment to the cause there, Rory. There was a, a few things about it, right, that, 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 that stood out for me. It's very, very unusual in hurling where the better team loses. That very, very rarely happens. 
Now, and this isn't just with my car cat on, because if we remember back to the podcast last week, I actually felt that Galway were going to win. No, I didn't think they were going to win in, under these circumstances. I mean, if you kind of wrap it up in a very swift and quick nutshell, Cork threw one in after, what, 40, 45, 50 seconds, so we're three points down straight away with a terrible goal conceded. Had three really good goal chances themselves where an extra step or an extra step or two or an extra pass and your execution and even one of those goes in. Missed a heap of freeze, hit the post twice, right, with shots and still only lost the match by a point. It's, 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 it's I still can't understand it. I'd say they're waking up this today and just, you know, bamboozled. They'll be full of regret. Um, they didn't really play well. They know that themselves. Team selection, obviously, is a big talking point and whether Huggy should have started or not. Look, I think at some point, I think Patrick Horgan has plenty to offer Cork for the next few years. I'm just not entirely sure if he's going to get the most out of him for the next couple of years. 70 minutes probably isn't the right employment of his services because he might, he, you might get longer out of him in terms of his career if he can become accustomed to dealing with 20, 25 minutes for real injections of just bit of uh, just that extra bit of bit of skill and a bit of craft and a bit of wizardry that he can bring. One point I will make in terms of the actual game itself. And I went out and had a walk around and then I know, Brendan, you've been part of double headers and very interested in your views on this, right? Half one lunchtime on a Saturday throwing for hurling. I don't know. I just don't know. It felt odd. Okay, that's the first thing. So the crowd was bizarrely subdued and unusually subdued, I felt, for a knockout big hurling match between two big counties. Downright sober, I'd say, Roy, weren't it? Yeah, well, I think there might have been been an element to that. It was just... Now, the second thing was, um, obviously, the crowd, you had... Like, this is all part of a doubleheader, and everyone was saying, oh, the doubleheader is a great thing. And I generally would maybe go along with that, except what I did notice was you have four different sets of supporters all arriving at different times and four different sets of supporters all leaving at different times. Some will stay, some will hang around for maybe five or 10 minutes of the second game. Some will be getting up and leaving before, you know, and it is in conducive to creating a sort of a consistent atmosphere at any one stage because it's being pockmarked through the course of the day with people shifting in their seats oh sorry i need to get out here or i'm leaving or i'm coming in i'm sitting down all that type of stuff and then you throw in as i said the fact that it was saturday and people were only out of bed i don't know it just felt slightly off and i don't know whether that fed into the nervousness around the teams because both games let's be honest were not great until maybe the last seven or eight minutes when the games kind of, you know, fell into a melting pot more by chance than by design. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair I point. Think, I think that, yeah, I think it was more of confidence. I don't know that Conor Lehan or Coleman ran you and missed the freeze because someone was shuffling that's the seat true. trying to get in, if you know yeah. what I mean. I, I think that what happens is in a group, you're built up of it's clear for Munster final. Cork, in fairness to them, would have been fairly void in a lot of ways because they've beaten Tipperary. And that's what surprised me the most. I mean, they were coming in on a bit of a high. They beat Waterford. They had beaten Hammer Tipperary in that same venue, right? And a half one or two o'clock throw in, it's either here or there. Mm. But for me, they just, it didn't catch fire for them like, um, like the other games. I mean, for a free taker, um, to stand over a ball knowing that Patrick Horgan is over on the far side. Then you hit the first one wide, you get the ooh from the crowd. Yeah. Then you're going up to the second one and it's playing on your mind, you get an even bigger ooh. And then everyone's yeah. looking going, who's ooh, the, the, ooh, the ooh is a very loud ooh as well, wasn't it? Did you notice yeah, the ooh? Like... Kind of a, like, and then you can see, Rory, you were probably directing on the game, pan over to Patrick Horgan quick. Yeah. And you see Patrick Horgan stretching and, and there's a pressure <laughs> builds, right? And then everyone's going, oh, do you know, should I get fouled here or not? Because, Jesus, the free takers under the car. So there was no freedom to play. And I think that's what Cork got a little bit caught up in. That flamboyant swashbuckling play that they had. Really, the hallmark of their game against Tipperary was run the ball, move it quickly, get it to the corners, win races, one foot races, all that. It just seemed to grind to a halt. And 
it just, it, you know, and, and like you said, Cork were probably the better team in the, on the day, but the team deserved to win is the one who has the most on the scoreboard, that's true. which ends up yep. being Galway. And, and that's the way it is. But I think we will see an awful lot more energy from both Cork and Clare the next day. Positive energy, which is the important thing. Having won, having said we've no regrets now, lads, think of what you felt like Monday morning when you woke up after the last game. Even though you won, you felt shiting yourselves because you didn't express yourselves properly. Let's not have regrets the next day and off you go again. So I mm. hope it'll be, it'll need to be better. It'll always need to be a lot better for both teams. Look, I do think Brendan is absolutely spot on. I think there's, um, Galway will come out of that with, I think, loads to work on. will feel like they're in a great position going into the semi-final. The chances are they'll probably be largely written off. Let's be honest, they're going up against Limerick. Nobody can see anybody beating them the way they're hurling at the minute. I think that puts them into a good position. It's almost like a free shot, and I think they'll uh, they'll relish that. Like I mean, they are the one team. I said this a while back, like that. I felt that Galway are one of the few teams out there that can match Limerick in a physical sense, and they'll be well able for it. And um, one thing to note on that, actually, I don't necessarily think it was a, a, a conscious thing, or maybe it was, but. Was there a stricter application, interpretation of the rules by the referees on the weekend, Brendan? Did you think, or did just the two teams maybe not kind of get into the sort of hand-to-hand stuff that we obviously saw in the Munster final? Yeah, I think there, there probably there was a bit of that in it. I had a, I had a feeling coming up to the games it might end up being nearly like a free-taking competition um, in that the refs would have been told, look, just keep a lid on this thing for as long as you can. Um, no, I think there's always going to be a spin around in games. We have certain incidents that happen. I think they've happened. They're done. I think players are just going to get on with it. That's just the way the, the way the thing works. But back to Galway, like Galway, I think if they can put Cahal Mannion inside in the full forward line with Connor Wheel, you remember they played Tipperary above in the Gaelic grounds. Um, I think at some rotation, whatever way Henry works his forwards, if he can get Cahal Mannion and Connor Wheel inside one on one or two v two. Uh, inside there with the Limerick full back line. I think that that's the trick, that if they can get that, I think Cahill Mannion's out around the middle. His role is really, I suppose, as a playmaker, Noel McGrath-type figure, spin the ball around. But I think he's doing too much chasing. He's working too much to get hooks and blocks. He's not lazy enough to do that role for all the world. But I think if he goes inside, he'd be a serious goal threat now against Limerick uh, himself and Whelan at some stage to get the two of them in there in partnership for maybe 10 minutes or so. Every, every 15, 20 minutes in the game, get two spins out of him in there and see what happens. Yeah. Because he was unbelievable against Tipperary and he was in there. And I haven't seen him in there since. Yeah. He does a lot of great work, though. I mean, he scored, Mannion scored four points and he made, you remember that incredible block he made on Jack Connor, where his hair like she's splitting two. So you could see why Henry thinks he's, he's worth bringing back out the field a bit. You're robbing yeah, Peter to pay Paul, though, aren't you? A bit. Yeah, you need, but that's why I'm saying you rotate him. Do you know, like the style of play is never locked in. Positions are never locked in either. So it would be if if he ended up in there on a 21-yard free, for example, or whatever, hit that hit the free or the bar and stayed in there for the puck out. Do you know that kind of a, a sneaky thing rather than someone shouting, you go in there? Just that rotation. We would have done it with Tipperay with Lark Harbour. He ended up on the edge of the square by himself. Do you know, just out of the blue, guys just end up in positions around the pitch you don't expect. And I think that's what they need because if they're going to beat Limerick, and remember the last time they ran Limerick fair close, right? But they didn't take the goal chances they got. The last time against Kilkenny, they didn't take the goal chances they got. And I think if Whelan, Mannion, Cod Cannon are inside the Kilkenny 45 with that three, then there's enough in there, I think, to give threat and they will need to get goals if they're to... And again, it'll add to the... to give them a bit more fizz as well. If they can hit the back of that Limerick net early days... Everybody gets filled with confidence then. And then we see a different Galway team to what we saw in Turles. Yeah. The one thing, Owen, I suppose, just to finish up, that they will need to work on, and uh, the lads touched on it there about you know, maybe the refs were a little bit more uh, stringent. But uh, despite all their, their travails in the first half from dead balls, Cork still scored eight points from freeze. So Galway's discipline, you know, Aaron Gillan will be licking his lips at the, at the thought of getting, you know, 12, 12 you know, scorable free opportunities you know, uh, in an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, and you're, you're fouling lads when, when they have the better of you, you know, when they, when they have the legs on you. And I, I thought Galway looked a bit leggy compared to Cork. Now, I don't know whether that's a Cork, you could say, or possibly the fastest, fittest team in Ireland. Maybe they're not 
maybe they're lacking the power that you maybe now need to to win. Um, but definitely, I thought Galway looked a bit sluggish at times, which is a concern. And then mm. you look at two games back to back where they haven't played that well. Okay, they won at the weekend and they won by a point, and there were bright spots like Kyle Mannion, Connor Whelan, and twice I think they kind of Cork almost got level and they put kind of three points together in a row. So that's great. But if I was a Galway fan, I'd be wondering. Did we peak in Salt Hill against Kilkenny? You know, a touch of the Waterfords, you know? Did you maybe reach your reach your potential too early? Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? Maybe they maybe they'll get great confidence from the manner well, of the, the one the one thing though, they like if you if you even go back, we I know we're kind of looking back in the league now, um, which obviously uh I would almost suggest a level of disdain. Um, but there was there was one particular game where it was kind of a sense that look you felt the two teams kind of went at it, which was Galway Limerick mm. in the Gaelic grounds, and I got became I don't know look at me up we know Limerick were you know in the very early stages of their preparations, but I think they will certainly rise to the challenge of taking Limerick on in a way that maybe a lot of other teams might wilt at the prospect. And I think they won't be one bit daunted by, you know, I think they'll actually embrace it. Would you, would you think? They, they might prefer to play the power game rather than the pace game, certainly. Mm. Yeah, I think they will, and, and um, yeah, like I mean, there's there's no doubt Connor Whelan staying close to the goals has made a big difference to Galway, and he needs only to spin onto one or two balls, and we saw what he's what he's capable of doing. So he's always going to keep the, the Limerick defence, I suppose, on their toes. But on any given day, even when I played against Galway, you'd say, "Ah, they're not going great," but is they have enough to beat us maybe today if they got buzzed up. And I think that's what Henry will be hoping that that X factor that can be in Galway hurling every so often that if they can find that. They'll give Limerick. They'll give Limerick enough of it. Um, but just wonder, can they find it? Because form, I suppose, and energy levels in the last two outings haven't really been where those players would want them to be. So it's how they fix that in the coming weeks is going to be the, the key puzzle for them yeah. to fix. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be. A, it wouldn't be all Ireland semi-final fixtures if there wasn't an enigmatic Galway team who we didn't know what was going to happen with them. Uh, just before we finish up. Um, I was wondering, Brendan, and obviously the sad news over the weekend of, of Damien Casey's uh, death in Spain. Um, I was wondering, did you have many dealings with him? Because obviously um, he would be kind of renowned as as Tyrone's greatest living hurler, if not greatest ever hurler. And um, that's um, obviously like it, it's shook the community up there because he, he was he was a bit of an icon to what, what is not an insignificant hurling community in Tyrone that's overshadowed by the footballers but they, they take their hurling very seriously up there yeah they have and condolences obviously to the family and all it's a big shock when we when we heard the news no I, I hadn't known him but I'd known him from afar and respected what he was doing and 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 all he done for for Tyrone Hurling. It's just so sad. Like, and I think when we're all talking about Hurling and and maybe for players, even I say it sometimes to, to teams I've been dealing with in the past, you know, this game means the the world to us, right? Yes, of course it does. But it's not the end of the world if we if we lose at the end of it all, just go out and express yourself, you know. And that's the that's the way it is because you see these sad things happening and it just brings all of our lives into into a bit of perspective and, and makes us, I suppose, try to enjoy the time we have a little bit more um when we while we have it. Yeah, absolutely. Wise words. Okay. We'll be back in a moment to discuss the Chelten Cup semi-finals with Paul Fitzpatrick and Kevin McStay. So it's touches in a second. Welcome back. We've been joined by Kevin McStay. Paul, McFa- Paul Fitzpatrick of the Angle Celt is with us as well to talk about the Talton Cup semi-finals. How are we doing, lads? Hello, Mikey. Good, Mikey. Good stuff. Um, we were just discussing off-air. Rory, Rory, Rory mentioned um, the bigger game being uh, Westmeath and Offaly, um, which might have been some people's preconception. I wouldn't think it would have been yours, Paul. Um, but Kevin Sligo turned out to be a very entertaining game and you would probably have preferred if it wasn't uh, quite such a close thing because to me the whole way through it seemed to me that Cavan were way more than three points better than Sligo but Sligo just kind of clung on there didn't they? Yeah I think first of all um, Sligo played very well and talking to some of the Sligo guys in the press box they seemed to think that that was a really good performance from Sligo so I think they deserved a lot of credit talking to Cavan supporters since 
the general sense, Mikey, is that Calvin played poorly, very sloppy, um, particularly defensively. And I'd, I would agree with that. Like in the first 10 minutes, Calvin were six points to no score up and looked like they are going to run away with it. Looked like they were levels above Sligo. Sligo would get a penalty, which was probably a little bit dodgy. The initial contact, I think, was outside the area. But in fairness, they went on and had two cleared off the line and hit the crossbar. So they probably did deserve that, that bit of a break. That brought them back into it. And Calvin had a big goal chance from Groden McKiernan just before half time. If they scored that, could have been a different game. But I was impressed with Sligo. A lot of pace in the team. Um, their, their wing back, he's a former AFL player. Name escapes me. Um, he, he was really good. He, he won the penalty. Um, touched Carabine up front was very lively. And Niall Murphy came on at half time, scored four points from play. And, you know, we, we had to move our all star fullback, Corey Faulkner, off him. So that'll tell you how good Niall Murphy was when mm-hmm. he came on. So I was very impressed with Sligo, I have to say. Yeah, Kev, it's it's an example of what a team, how a team can improve if they if they get a run of games at the right time of the year because um, Sligo were inconsistent, I suppose, during the league. That but you know, they've kind of come good and like they they really did. They showed very a lot of efficiency in some ways in their attack. Uh, you know, kind of to get the to to ring the most out of a few chances in the first half and um. They just look like a cohesive team who have been well coached and well managed, which I guess is the aim here. As much as the aim is to win the Talton Cup, the aim for all these teams is to just to be able to be more cohesive and be more of a team. Yeah, well, I I think all all the teams left in in it at the weekend, the four, would absolutely in the way they embraced the competition and, and fair play to them, would have seen it. They embraced it for one reason. I, I don't think necessarily to win it, that's the bonus. The, the, the embracing it was to further develop. That, that's what the whole thing was. I, I think yeah, yesterday was Sligo's fifth championship game uh, in, 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 the, in the season. And like, that's just unheard of really bar. They had a qualifier run, you know, in the noughties at one stage. Other than 2002. that. They, 2002. 2002. That's yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. 20 years ago. Like, so um, uh, from that point of view, you see the benefits of getting these extra games, the cohesion, the teamwork, Etc. And yet, for all that, I agree with Paul that the um, the first quarter looked like um, Sligo were completely uh, spooked by the Crow Park or perhaps the extra experience of Cavan up in Crow Park because their efforts at trying to get shots off and there were you know very what I'd call lower level blocks going on and shots into goalies' hands like like. It was stuff now you wouldn't associate with a big competition up in Crow Park. And I was thinking, oh, God, they're going to get a, a hockey in. And if, if Kavanagh got the, the chances, if they put them away, you, you mentioned one garage, McKiernan won there, Paula. I, there was another one in the second half that he should really have walked around the goalie. And there was a, there was a third one now that just escapes me. A really good opportunity. Yeah, Thomas Galligan, I think, Kevin. Yeah. Yes, it was, yeah. The Sligo keeper uh, did extremely well. So... You know, it, it could have turned out very smelly indeed for Sligo, but fair play to them. After the first quarter, they came thundering back into it. And, and even though the penalty was, you know, it was it was outside. That's just the reality of it. You know what sometimes you say, but they deserve that penalty. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think we're, we're all agreed they deserve the penalty. Uh, and they got it. They got, they got the little break there. And, and that really made a match of it. Uh, really w- very, very well uh, struck penalty. Uh, what, what was the situation with Niall Murphy? I didn't pick that up on the commentary. Now I was tipping in and out of it, so I didn't get... Why didn't he start, or do we know? From what I hear, he was carrying a niggle or in some niggle, sort of okay. a knock, you know? Yeah, because yeah. he certainly, he was dangerous. Even though he looked a little bit rusty, he was still very, very dangerous. Just and four, uh, points, four points from play yeah. in the second half alone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Carabine lad that, that Paul mentioned, I thought he was possibly man of the match. I thought he was terrific all afternoon. It, it was a very good game of football and completely stole the show from the so-called bigger <laughs> yeah. game uh, yeah. that was that was to follow. Um, but it's it's kind of, the competition has really gone the way we kind of thought it would. Cavan, probably West Needs in the final. We thought there might be something out of tip. There wasn't. Um, I think that it, it's followed it. And, and Cavan have really, have really embraced it in terms of Getting a few few younger players out on the field again. He had a good under twenties effort this year. Paul is my recollection. I mean, maybe yeah. lost maybe a semi final that he could have won possibly. 
Yeah, they were beaten by a point in the Ulster final against Tyrone. Ulster game, final, sorry. Game they should have won. Cavan find it very difficult to beat Tyrone anyway in, in anything. Yeah. Um, that was a game we should have won and uh, Tyrone went on, obviously, and won the All-Ireland. I, I think we should mention the, the Sligo fullback as well, End Alliance. He, he mm. was absolutely brilliant. He marked Paddy Lynch. I was really impressed with him. On the Cavan team, I thought Jerry Smith had had an absolutely brilliant game as well. And Jason McLaughlin, who's sort of an unsung hero, although he's he's entering sort of Dennis Irwin territory now, where he's he's, <laughs> he's so unsung that he's oversung. But he, he had a brilliant game as well. He's Shannon Gale's club man. Um, but yeah, some of those under twenties have come into the panel, Kevin. Yeah, yeah Naya yeah. Carlin would be one who is a, a grandson of the last surviving uh, All Ireland winner from Cavan, Paddy Carlin. And Niall's uncle Ronan would have won an Ulster medal with Cavan. Yeah, I remember Ronan in fine pair, yeah. 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 So. We were we were here last week um previewing the matches, Paul, and um Wexford goalkeeper Shane Roach is on and we're kinda of asking him, you know, because he they come up against three of the teams in the semifinals and he's saying Sligo very good, very young, very pacey, but he said they went up to play Cavan the next week. It it was just a completely different game. Like just kind of in terms of conditioning, strength, overall coaching. And I think while Sligo made a very good fist fight, I think I think kind of on the kickouts is where that was kind of apparent. It did seem like a higher level team playing against. I think I think Cavan took five of Sligo's seven long kickouts or something like that. That was the one area where Cavan seemed to be able to show a kind of perhaps a physical and and also a tactical uh, domination over Sligo. I think. Well, Cavan. Cavan spent years, uh, we had this social media motto, which I'm always talking about, called the, the future is blue. So Cavan won four Ulster on the 21s in a row. And uh, all the Cavan supporters who are famously fervent, as we know, they, they were all talking about the future is blue. It was a hashtag going around on, on Twitter and everything else. And we actually f- fell into a trap for a good few years of always looking to next year. Uh, and that was a feature kind of when Terry Highland was the manager of the team as well, that we always felt, oh, well, this team is coming and this team is coming. And they never actually arrived. <laughs> and it didn't. It didn't happen until 2020, and it's reached a stage now where I think uh, Cavan supporters have finally realised. Well, this this team is here now because if you look through the the average appearances on the Cavan team, it's actually incredible. I reckon they're one of the most seasoned teams in the country at the minute. Like Killian Clark made his hundredth appearance yesterday. Uh, Grove McKernan's up in the one thirties. Martin Riley's one sixty yesterday, um, and that's right through the team. Um, Ray McGalligan is I think on something like ninety eight. Horik Faulkner's in the high eighties. Uh, Kieran Brady, same, and he's only coming back from a cruise ship, so he missed the year. And that's right through. I could name almost all mm. of those those guys. So it's a very seasoned, physically strong Cavan team. They employed a guy called Andre Quinn a couple of years ago as a full time um, athletic development um, role, and he he's got a, coming from a rugby league background. Very well, I think every strength and conditioning coach is highly rated, but this <laughs> this, this guy is is highly rated, and he did highly, a great job rated. with them. <laughs> <laughs> He's done a great job with them. I know Kevin have been very successful on the challenge game circuit. Kevin, you'd know more than me about what that is actually worth, but Kevin beat Kildare comfortably. They, they, I think they did a bit of a number on Mayo in a challenge game before Mayo played Monaghan, and they beat Cork down in Cork as well in a challenge before the start yes. of the Ulster Championship. And just talking to some of the Kevin lads, I think some of the opposition camps were taken aback by the physical power of Cavan because right through the team, you know, from, from Faulkner, Clark, Galligan, McCarron, and this new player we have, Connor Brady. Well, he's not that new, but he's young. Connor Brady, wing back, he's absolute beast. He's a good lad, yeah. Yeah, you've got Paddy Lynch there as well. So it's it's physically probably the strongest Cavan team I have seen. For years, we were always complaining that we were too small, but they are very seasoned at this stage. Yeah, yeah. That, was my, that was my big fear. It's interesting that you talk about the three matches, not the... Uh, on the challenge tour uh, to get ready for um, for the Talchin. That was my great fear was that the, the boards would, you know, let's start squeezing in midweek league matches up in Cavan or up in Westmead and, you know, wouldn't be sanctioning uh, challenge games and, you know, the sort of prep that you need to give a good account of yourself in Crow Park just wouldn't be there. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say uh, that I was wrong on, the, on that front. Uh, and the, the narrative, certainly the, the, the background music is, is, is quite excellent on it. And, and a big part of it, I think, has to go to the managers of the respective, and not just the four, you know, in general, uh, all the managers uh, embraced the idea because without their input, it's dead. That's, you know, when you come back on the Tuesday and if the manager is loping around the place with a long, you know, a long face on him, well, it's all over now. But if he comes in bouncing and selling it and, you know, saying, you know, we can develop and, you know, this gets us ready for Division 3 or Division 2 next year. And, you know, and the momentum and getting to know guys and the way they play and the bit of camaraderie and all that. So it's all been good, good, good. 
that doesn't mean now, uh, maybe we review the Talchin, but maybe just in case we don't get there, I should throw in that uh, the, the geographical divide was nonsense. There was no requirement for it at all. It worked out okay, actually, but, but, but it was never based on anything other than, you know, the price of petrol or something. I don't know what it was based on. But, uh, and the fact that uh, it now looks like it's going to be in a, a full house, isn't it? It's going to be a full house the day of the semi-final mm -hmm. and the Talchin Cup final. Uh, that's worked out lovely because of the way the draw has gone and the, the new faces on the block in the senior championship, if we like. Um, but of course, you, you know, Mikey, I've argued all season that it should have been the All-Ireland curtain raiser. But I'm happy to say it's been, it's, been, it's been a really, a really good success. But it can be built on and it can be definitely improved upon. Yeah. Um, Rory, um, the, the coverage yesterday, you're in a strange position today of waking up to maybe majority positive messages. Which, which won't suit you, won't suit you. Oh, but um, no. he, like, what's, the, what's the same? Walk easy when the cup is full, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a pat in the back is only a few inches yeah. from a kick in the arse. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah but you, what you did was kind of you took players who had played in it this year and managers and introduced them as your co-coms and your panellists. And then you... It's nice to hear Grove McKiernan after the match then as well, Rory, saying, you know, oh, it's great to see the fans travelling up here for an All-Ireland semi-final. He didn't call it the Chelsea Cup semi-final. He called it an All-Ireland semi-final. So the crowd wasn't huge, and obviously you switched the cameras around. It was bigger around. than I thought it was going to be, yeah, by the way. Yeah, and it was compressed into one stand, which was a good idea. So what, what, how, did, idea, yeah. Yeah, how, did, how did you assess it kind of from a as a, as a spectacle, Rory, from, on a TV point of view, but also as just an attendee of a lot of matches? I think it was a huge success from top to bottom, start to finish. Um, I think Kevin's point about the geographical divide is well made because at one point yesterday, when Kevin were six points to no score in front, I was kind of almost mooting a potential conversation with Damien Lawler, who was presenting yesterday. Like, is this geographical divide after mitigating against maybe the four best teams getting to the semi-final to a certain extent, given the fact that maybe you could throw in the argument that um, the Fermanagh or Down or, you know, teams will say further, further up the country might have been better served to give us a more competitive game. But then as we, as, as what happened, as we saw what happened, uh, Sligo just managed to, kind of settle into the game. I think there was definitely, I think I'd agree with Kevin. I think there was an element of them feeling slightly overawed to begin with, and there might've been a bit of nervousness in their play, but geez, I thought they played really, really well. And that's not to say it in a patronizing way. I think there's a lot of athleticism in that team. They've got some really good players. I think the big, the key thing for me with both games, and, I, I, and I'd be interested in everybody's view here, there seems to be a kind of a joie de vivre around the approach to it. Like there isn't the same level of cynicism. There isn't the same level of let's sit in and be defensive. Let's not take any chances. Let's play with fear. I think because it's a competition that maybe is devoid of the kind of pressures that you would normally associate with the latter ends of the Sam Maguire I think people have just decided, you know what, let's go in and have a cut here. And it's making for fantastic football, yeah. really good spectacles in that the games are end to end. Now, like, you know, the Elikadoos and the Anoraks and they might say, oh, that's not real football. And there might be a kind of a fizzy pop nature to it. But look, I'll take fizzy pop any day <laughs> of the week, you know, as opposed to yeah. the alternative. So I think it was a big success overall. And I think huge credit to all the teams yeah. involved. What do you think, Paul? I, I would put the kind of the, the, the quality of the football or kind of down to the fact that the teams are quite evenly matched and that no team has to kind of guard against being, you know, Dublin or, or carried into oblivion. Or, but is there more to it than that? Do you think the teams in the, because you would watch more, I would say, Division 4 football than, than most or Division 3 in the last couple of years. Do you, do you think there is kind of a change in style in the lower tiers? Um, it's, I don't know. I, I think to the standard of Division Four this year, um, obviously, Cavan as as high kings of Ulster and and one of the aristocrats of the game, we wouldn't be used to playing in Division Four. <laughs> but I, I was actually impressed with the standard of some of the teams in Division Four this year, having covered all the Cavan games, particularly London over there. Like Cavan were lucky to hold on to beat London by a point over there. I thought they were very impressive. Um, Waterford were poor in the final game, but it was sort of a dead rubber for them. Wexford as well were missing a good few bodies when they played that day, but. Overall, I thought Tipperary were very good. I actually thought the standard wasn't that bad. I was a little bit sceptical of the Talchin Cup, or quite sceptical of the Talchin Cup at the start, because I thought that 
I, I don't know has the association explored every possible way of leveling things up other than just going with a separate tier. Like we know that the biggest denominator in breakthrough senior success is prior underage success. And that it's almost impossible to find an exception to that. Monaghan in twenty thirteen were possibly an exception to that. But almost any team who comes with a with a breakthrough win at senior has has won it underage before. And I know you you'll often hear cited how Leitrim won a B All Ireland before their breakthrough in ninety four. But they had also won an under-21 Connacht just before that. And if you look at that BL Ireland, they won. I think they only won two games in that, and they won it very easily. I would say that under-21 Connacht was just a bigger thing. So I was sceptical from that point of view that some of the things that was sort of uh, been promised that the Tatcham was going to do, I, I was wondering, will it do that? But I have to say, I've been sort of won over by it. And, and one of the things that won me over was if I had to distill it to one moment, Cavan played down in, in the first round in, in Brefty Park, Ray McGadigan saved the penalty from Barry O'Hagan and uh, the referee made him retake it. And the place was up in arms, as you can imagine, in, in Breffley. And he saved it the second time. The second time was an even better save. And then there was bodies diving in everywhere to try and get this ball clear. And some Calvin fella got his hands on it. And just at that, the halftime whistle blew. And they were all fist pumping. The crowd were on their feet. And at that moment, I thought, well, OK, I'm a touching cup sceptic, but this may as well be us the championship here. There's nobody mm-hmm. feeling it any less. So I, I think from that point of view, yeah, uh, it's good. But I... As someone who was against the tiered idea, I actually think that we need three tiers now because if we if we are to go with a tiered approach, realistically, there's seven or eight teams in, in the Tatchan Cup who have never come next to near Division Two football. They're, they've been in Division Four for a long time. Uh, Carlo and Leitrim would say got out of it for one year and ended up back in it. And I think they're going to find it difficult, those those teams. And, you know, a lot of them are in counties where Horland is stronger, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going to find it there. But at the, uh, at the other end, Paul, like, is there any point in us talking about Mead winning in a senior All-Ireland either? Whereas if you're talking about them winning an intermediate All-Ireland, then, you know, you're t- and I, Mead, I just pick off the top of my head, there's 15 counties in the rump of the championship who aren't going to win a senior All-Ireland in the next 10 years. So the, the argument, they could be competing for an intermediate All-Ireland instead, or an All-Ireland 2 or whatever you want to call it. Kev, what do you think? Have we, are, we, are we running now? We've gone from one tier to two and now we want three. Well, I, I, I do think the Talchin was also seen as a little bit of a, of, of a teaser. As mm. in, let's, let, let's get this one done. Canary down the coal what, mine, yeah, let, see what happens. Let's see what we can learn from it. And, and, and made, like, we think that even the, the new system we're going to see next year, uh, the, the groups of four, is probably a first step to open championships down the road. I think likewise with the Talchin, uh, Paul is right in that there should be, there, there is clearly a requirement for three tiers, uh, in, in my view as well. I, I agree with him. But how, how you would get there in the short term might be a bit trickier. What was interesting was some of the feedback yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, the, the panel might have discussed the idea of, of the round robin, and that didn't immediately take off either. Um, was it Mickey Quinn was saying maybe down on the sideline, now it was good to have the games week on week on week and knock out and moving it on. Um, and they're being fed all these lines by their editor there. He's Mr. Yeah. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Anti-Round Robin there. We, do, we did agenda, have a discussion about agenda. that beforehand. We did, yeah. we did. By the way, I should say to, to the editor, when you were talking there about um, um, the, the great success of yesterday and um, one day you're on top, the other way, there's one, there's one down here, Rory, one, one day the peacock, the next day the feather duster. That's enough. Take all no, that with a pinch of salt. No, no, it, 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 in an overall sense, I think it is a first, I think it is a first step and surely there's a lessons learned department at this stage. I've been writing about that for a good number of years. There must be a lessons learned department somewhere in the bowels of Crow Park that uh, look at these things uh, logically and coldly and properly in, in the winter months and, and see what the learnings are. I know, oh, Kev, take it easy. That sounds, yeah. that sounds all very logical. I think the, what, what's the word, what's the phrase? I'm not, we, we've crossed the Rubicon about mm. another tier. That it, it is now accepted. It's done, it's launched, it floated. Great. And there are improvements to it. And one of those improvements is what I think Paul is edging towards somewhere down the road. Like it can't be just it can't be just Liam McCarthy and the Christy Ring. There's Nicky Rackards and there's other bits and pieces that we have to. But I think three would do the football just about nicely. And I I, I think it could be a oh I don't know there could be a twelve 
somewhere there. I don't know, or a 10, maybe 10, mm. a 10 and two, two, two 12s, whatever, whatever the numbers is. That's not great, maths. No, um, it is actually two, two tens and a 12 well, or something yeah. like that. You're all right. Yeah, we'll get yeah. Kilkenny back involved for the crack. Well, um, <laughs> don't, don't put me down that road now. Um, but we better we better mention the the, the second game. Uh, Rory uh, Westmead, whatever they Waffley weren't great, but whatever way you slice it, Westmead scored three nineteen from play. That's pretty impressive. Unbelievable! I think Johnny Bradley, who does stats for us, had an incredible one there where they had forty nine attacks and forty shots. I think I've ever seen that. It was astonishing. Like 49 attacks and 40 shots. It was just incredible. That's the, that's the, yeah. um, sorry, Rory, for cutting across. No you problem. To give you a little bit of background on that because I followed that stat very carefully with Johnny week on week. And uh, it's what we call the ASS, ASS, attacks, uh, shots, scores. And it's a fantastic metric. But the rule of thumb, Johnny and I, over the, over the months and years, uh, have like if you're Dublin of that, quality it's 40 30 20 so 40 attacks 30 shots 20 20 scores uh, and if you do that you just about win any game you ever play and to see yesterday is what exactly you thought you got it there in one 49 yeah. is astronomical <laughs> and that's an attack that's more than an attack every minute yeah uh, sorry that's uh, almost two attacks uh, you know yeah 49 40 25 it's pretty impressive yeah. Oh, it's yeah. very, it's, yeah. well, you won't be bad, but that <laughs> yeah. and, and they're good. Look, Westmead are, I think, I know, we, I don't want to be too dismissive of the second game because look, it did peter out as a contest more or less by half time. But I think that's just to give credit to Westmead. I think they're a very, very good side. They're very well coached. Um, they're just unlucky, I suppose, to a certain extent that they're in um, a, re, a sort of an institutionalized province where everybody is under we'll say under the auspice of Dublin, but they haven't, they have, they, they're like, I think it's going to make for an excellent final. I think they'll be extremely well matched mm. and they have some serious, like they have an awful lot of physical power in the team. They've got like that Luke Lachlan looks like a, a fantastic player. Uh, Heslin obviously rolled back the years again yesterday, gave an absolute tour de force in terms of spraying ball, kicking points from play, kicking freeze, got a couple of good goals, might've might've got a couple of more, um, got a, uh, Sam McCartan wing forward top class. Nice they've yeah, got yeah. A, another chap that kind of came in late into the team Sam Duncan's excellent wing back as well so I think all in all Westmead I think are like I think both, I think the team you mentioned at the top that this team this competition is being depicted as a sort of a development competition and I think the two teams that we expected in the final made it but at the same time I think both of those teams now will go into that final and we'll really go for it. And I think whenever they hang up their boots for the interminable time that people will be hanging up their boots, but we won't go there, right? Um, I think they'll face into 2023 on a much better footing and really be in a good position to kind of get out of Division 3 because they'll be finishing up the 2022 campaign on a real high. Yeah, I have to adjudicate on something there, Rory. So John Heslin rolled back the years. He's 30 in a week. He's surely not in rolled back the years territory <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yet. No, no. no is in rolled back yeah. the years. Can I say, in defense of Offaly, just a very quick line. Yeah. Um, they had a virus the last, and they lost the, the, the last big derby, leader. Yeah. The, la the last Nile derby was, was, was mega for them during, during, during the week. I'd say put an awful cloud on the whole prep because he's at an age where it's going to be very difficult to recover from, it, it looks like it's ACL. Um, and he and he is one of, if not their top performer. Like he's a marvelous footballer, and it was just such a pity that you know playing a competition they were well committed to, in, in training I believe Tuesday night to get clipped. So that's just one one of the most unfortunate things of it. So that's a little bit of mitigation, but you know West Mead yeah. well ahead well ahead of them. Uh, Paul, you, you probably didn't watch much of this game because I imagine you were in the bowels of Croke Park chasing players for quotes, which is uh, the want of every respectable journalist uh, on on match day, but. Um, you did have a good stat. I just wanted to throw it in there, apropos of nothing, that Cavan had 11 scores in the first half and 11 different scores, which is, is quite phenomenal. So look, yeah. there's scores all over this Cavan team. We've we've ascertained 319 from play. There's scores all over this Westmead team. The uh, the crowd at the All-Ireland semi-final could be treated to an absolute shootout here with any luck. Yeah, I, th I think so. The only thing is, no one, Mickey Graham, um, I imagine he's going to shore up that defence because Cavan have been 
leaking too many opportunities and got away with it really against Sligo. Like, I don't know how Cavan only conceded 114 in that game. I have no idea because Sligo had two cleared off the line. They hit, hit the upright twice, they hit the, the crossbar once and kicked a succession of bad wides as well. So they were getting in very easily. And I'd imagine um, Mickey Graham won't stand for that in the final. Conor Minor has been injured at the minute. He generally plays a sweeper role for Cavan. Like, Cavan are essentially going man for man in this competition. Uh, as as the lads were touching on earlier, like it's freewheeling type stuff. I, I I think we'll see it clamped down on a little <laughs> bit in the final. Uh, just before before we move That's on, that's showing now. the Talton Cup utter respect. Then isn't it? Mickey yeah. Graham's going. He's going to come and spoil the final to make sure he wins it. That shows it's taken seriously. Poor sweepers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the fellow whose name I couldn't remember earlier, just it, it was Luke Towie. That's the winner oh, yeah. for for. Uh, yeah. For Sligo, and he was brilliant. Yeah, Starman match, he had, yeah, he, had, he was. Yeah, there was great speed in that Sligo team, which is um, uh, uh, Pat Spillane's son. Pat was uh, he showed that as well. He's very um, very, very athletic player. and uh, yeah. great at coming off the shoulder. He was uh, yeah, he well, was the, the first game. The Campisi step. <laughs> he did. He did. I don't indeed. think Pat, Pat didn't have that, did he? I think that was one of. Uh, I don't recall. Is that Pat how he ended up with the two uh, knee braces? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might have tried it once. <laughs> he tried it once. Um, Pat's, was, Pat's, Pat's one was. No, look, I could be wrong, but I think Pat's one was the dummy solo. He was, yeah. Doesn't Pat claim to have invented the dummy solo? Well, I don't think I ever saw anybody do the dummy solo before Pat's plan. No, there may be. I mean, look, I wasn't watching football in the no, 60s. I said Tony McTague. I said Tony McTague, but better him to it. You probably wouldn't remember that far back now. No. Pat will be short. Next time he's on here, he'll correct us anyway. I'm telling Joe Canning to count his All Ireland medals last week, so he's feeling pretty spiky at the moment. His dummy, Pat's dummy was was pretend to go left, go left. <laughs> All right, I think I think we're disintegrating here, so we might leave it at that. Um, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Paul, and thank you earlier to uh, Owen and Brendan Cummins, and we'll be back on Thursday to look ahead to the All Ireland quarterfinals. Thank you very much. Good luck. by winning the last two matches on the road and that's not going to be taken away from us. What I love in Hurland, I love players that will never give in. He hits it! He hits it! It's over the bar! Oh! Holy Moses!